Welcome to episode seven of the NRL Corona Positives podcast. Get excited. We are under a month away to the relaunch of the NRL season after it was halted by the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Tony Salerno having a corona, the beer, not the virus, with Mitch Frugia as we look at the bright side of a game in turmoil. How are you, Mitch? Yeah, great. Thanks, Tony. Good to see all the boys back out training, all the teams up and getting ready. Yes, cheers. Cheers. We want you listening to keep connecting with us on social media at NRL Corona Positives on Instagram and Facebook or email us at NRL Corona Positives at gmail.com. We'll read the best mail live on our podcast. Mitch, in preparation for this week, I did what I do every week and watch a movie that has nothing to do with rugby league, but try and find a comparison to the NRL's current situation. So Mitch, I've really been into George Clooney movies lately. <laughs> The guy is such a dreamboat. I reckon our <laughs> mums would have drooled all over him back in the day. Just so suave. So the movie <laughs> I watched, it's called Up in the Air. So it was a movie from back in 2009 where George Clooney, basically he works as a HR consultant and he flies across the country 300 days a year hiring and firing employees. So he's a bit of a nomad and he doesn't want to commit to relationships and he doesn't have a physical place to connect to and call home. So he's actually most happy in the air. And I think the comparison here is that when the NRL season returns, it's going to be very similar to them. They connect very positively to the place they live, their actual place where they come from. So they're going to be locked away in a bubble where they can't communicate. Well, they can communicate with the people they love, but they can't go and see them physically all the time while these harsh restrictions are on. So I feel like this movie really demonstrated how even though you can't be close to the people you love, it doesn't sort of lose who you are. So I thought it was a really uh, good analogy for what the game is heading into. So a physical structure is what people generally call home. But in this bubble, the NRL teams are going to have to come together and they're going to have to work together to try to get themselves out of this when they go back onto the training field. So that leads me back in to our first big positive. Mitch, the players are back training. They went back to training on Wednesday, the 5th of May. How exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Obviously, that's a big, big step forward um, because as we've talked about in previous podcasts, we sort of weren't sure with the May 28th date, was it more just a, oh, if we get pushed back, we'll sort of see. But now that the teams are actually training, everything's working out on time. There was a little bit of a uneasy period last week where we weren't sure about a pay deal with the players if it was going to be made in time but everything seems to be resolved at the moment between the players and the game and I think the players and the fans most of the, most of the fans are uh, absolutely ecstatic that the players are back out training and we're getting closer and closer to actual footy. Yeah that's right so we've almost had a few obstacles as you've said with the rights deal and then the pay deal for the players but it's really good. We were actually afraid earlier last week that the players might revolt and not start training yet. But it's good to see that they are preparing and they're confident in what the NRL is doing, which is the main thing as well. We had a little bit of a stumbling block earlier this week with players getting vaccinated. Originally, even the Prime Minister said that he'd prefer if the NRL players get jabbed so they have the flu shot before they return to play. A couple of the players said, for religious reasons, we don't like to get the flu shot. And the NRL said, that's fine. But a couple of the other players just don't like the concept of a flu shot. They think it makes them feel worse or it puts an unnecessary virus in their body. So it affects the people who they are around. So, uh, Mitch, what were your thoughts on that one with the vaccination? 
Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, you can't really force somebody to to have a vaccination or to do something that they don't want to do in general. Um, but obviously, yeah, for the sake of the game, a lot of people were edging them to try and get it done, I believe. I think it was 98% of players and staff had had the jab. So it's only a small, very small number. I think it was something like five players that haven't actually had the flu shot. Um, so very, very slim margin. But I mean, in saying that, you can't really force someone to do something against their will. And um, everyone's got their reasons. So I think it's okay. I mean, obviously, in an ideal world, you'd want everyone to have it. Um, but if it's certain religious reasons or other reasoning where they're, they're unable to get it, then I think it's their sort of is their choice, even though, even though it's a difficult, it's a difficult one. It's a two edged sword because you ideally like all the players to have it. But then again, you can't force people to do things if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's a little bit different. So of course they have in their means in their life, they can go through and not get a jab at all. That's perfectly fine. I feel like this request is very specific to their job. So a very wayward comparison again, Mitch, but say for example, if you want to work as a delivery driver at Domino's, you've got to have your license and you've got to have a car. Now you can say, oh, I don't really like driving or I don't really want it to drive. But then Domino's has every right to come back and say, if you don't have those two requirements, we can't hire you for this position. So it's a little bit different in the sense that there are priorities in the job and the NRL is the same. They want to get back up and running and the government has been happy to help them along the way, provided that they follow the biosecurity measures. And this is one of the biosecurity measures. So I feel like, yes, 100% people can decide whether they want to or not take the flu shot. It's just a case of if you have a specific requirement for that job, you should try and uphold the requirements of that job. Otherwise, if it's not for you, then you go on and you, you play something else. So I feel like it's a little bit different than forcing it against somebody's will, but I totally understand religious reasons. There are some players who don't want to get it, like Bryce Cartwright, not for religious reasons, just because he's, he's not very happy with the concept, which uh, each to their own. But uh, yeah, it is quite a curly one. But Mitch, end of the day, it's really positive that the NRL players are back into training and we're very close to getting the game relaunched again. This is the NRL Corona Positives podcast. Tony Sloaner and Mitch Ferugia here with you. We're going through our big positives for the week. And Mitch, we had a smaller story that was really positive and really hit the heartstrings of a few of the fans. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, if it wasn't for this, uh, this story and this team, then potentially we'd only have 15 clubs training at the moment, Tony. But local Aussie rules team, the Albury Tigers, um, have allowed the Storm to train on their privately owned sports ground. This comes after the Albury Council rejected allowing the Storm to train on local grounds. Um, but yeah, the Aussie rules team has jumped in and saved the day by letting Melbourne begin to train on their private facility. I mean, this is a really huge gesture by the Albury Tigers. Yeah, that's right. You'd almost like it to be a scene from a movie. You know, the storm get to the ground and then the Aubrey Tigers go, we'll play it for it. (laughs) (laughs) And then they play each other and they go into it. But Mitch, I know uh, in media circles, we love a big code war, AFL versus NRL or Aussie rules versus rugby league. This was more a case of Aubrey is very strongly AFL territory. So the Giants reside in and around that area. It's on the border of Victoria and New South Wales. So I could understand the council 
sort of not wanting to open up if there is a coronavirus outbreak, they don't want it in their jurisdiction, which I totally understand, but it may have been the Albury Council looking after one of their own, but really nice to see the Albury Tigers doing what's in the best interest of the sport. Mitch, it isn't, uh, we don't know the specifics of the actual deal, but I, I think it'd be fair to say that the Albury Tigers probably got compensated in some way in terms of being able to um, lend their ground to the Melbourne Storm. But for the greater good of a code and getting sport back up and running in this country, it was a really selfless gesture from the Albury Tigers. Yeah, certainly. I think that's the main point. They're, just, they're doing it not only not worrying about code wars and what sport they play. It's just the fact of trying to get sport back up and running in this country because it's not going to be an easy path, most likely for other sports. And in the NRL, we've already seen how difficult it's been with things getting rejected and things changing and all these little minor things that pop up when they're trying to get restarted. So I think that'll probably become the reality um, for the rest of this year, uh, potentially going into next year. So it's great to see little gestures like this, which just make it easier for everyone. And in terms of the organisation, it be interesting to see behind closed doors, the NRL is obviously going to restart before the AFL does. I don't know if, I don't know which of those codes has more joy. Is it the NRL going in first and being able to say that they set their game live first? Or is the AFL saying they're taking the noble road because they've got a fair bit of money that they're able to start a little bit later and not be desperate to go into it? So it's an interesting interesting thing to see. It's almost like two, two brothers with big egos just trying to one-up each other. They're always competitive on and off the field. So uh, NRL will get up and running first, but you wouldn't expect AFL to be too far away anyway. But we're talking about the NRL. This is the NRL Coronavirus Podcast. Uh, NRL Corona Positives podcast, should I say. So we're going to focus a little bit more time this week, Mitch, on back when the game was great. So we've done our big positives. Now we're looking at back when the game was great. This is all the great content that's around pre-COVID-19. And this week, NRL.com released a poll asking fans to vote on Instagram and Facebook on the greatest player in the NRL era. So when the NRL went from the ARL to the NRL in the, uh, in the early 90s, there was a push from the NRL to get fans to vote on who was the best player from that era. And Mitch, we've got the top five here. We won't reveal who the top was, but we'll have a look at each of them. Have a look through their resume. Mitch, there's some long resumes here. There's some really impressive players. And then we'll go through, did they get it right? And should they have been higher? Or how did their position go? And what is your best memory of that player? So we'll go, we'll read their resume, get their best memory, and if you think they're in the right position. So Mitch, we'll start with you. Who was selected at number five? So number five, uh, that was Billy Slater. So obviously champion fullback for the Melbourne Storm and also the Maroons in Australia. He had he played 119 games, scoring 190 tries, which I believe is the most tries ever scored by an individual player. Uh, 31 origins with 12, 12 tries. 30 tests with 27 tries, which is pretty incredible. It's a great strike rate. To score, yeah, basically a try every time you pull on the um, Aussie jersey. Two premierships in 2012, and 2017. I notice how you left off that one where they they beat Parramatta. Um, It's all all subjective, mate. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Two Clive Churchill medals in 2009 and 2017. The M M medal in 2011 and three M Fullbacks of the Year uh, medals. 
Dalian Representative Player of the Year in 2010, the Golden Boot Award in 2008, and two Wally Lewis medals, which is pretty good CV if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the 2018 one was interesting, wasn't it? He only played two games and uh, New South Wales won that series, but we'll give him the award anyway. Mitch, number five for Billy Slater. We're not going to preempt who the top four were, but I feel like this is a pretty fair position for Billy Slater to be in. I wouldn't have probably put him any higher than this. But I do think he certainly was the best fullback of the NRL era because Darren Lockyer did switch during that time. He started at fullback and then he moved into one of the best 5'8s ever to pull on the jersey. So I feel like Billy Slater changed the game, changed the way fullback was played. So And just his resume speaks for itself, Mitch. It's over three lines long. There's so many different awards. And there is one, pretty much everything you need to win in the game. So I think five is pretty fair for Billy Slater. Yeah, I think so. I think you wouldn't have him outside the top 10 um, for this sort of discussion. So, yeah, five's pretty reasonable in and around there. And now I've got number four. So Billy Slater in the number five. Number four, I've got Darren Lockyer. So every Queensland's favourite from the NRL era, Darren Lockyer, played 355 games for the Broncos. At the time he retired, that was the most games of any player. He's got 123 tries, very healthy average there. 36 origins, a lot of those as captain. Nine tries for him. 59 tests for Australia. I think that's still the record. I don't think Cameron Smith did pass him. So 59 tests for Australia with 35 tries. So that's good for uh, over uh, one every two games. Uh, Four premierships. So if we count Super League back in 1997, 98 as well when the Broncos were a big juggernaut, 2000 and then 2006 in the later part of his career. A Clive Churchill medal back in 2000. Great performance in the 2000 Grand Final victory over the Roosters. Three-time Dallium fullback of the year. And Mitch, what's important, three-time Dallium five-eighth of the year. So it's very rare you're the best in two different positions, not just in your lifetime, but in a 10-year span. So congratulations to him there. Two-time Dallium representative player of the year. So very good in the green and gold. Jumper, two-time Golden Boot, so the best player in the world in 2003 and 06, and one Wally Lewis medal in 2006. Who can forget when he scored that match-winning try in Game 3 to start that big dynasty? Darren Lockyer, Mitch Ferrugia, in at number four. So there's three players voted better than him in the NRL era. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I, I think Darren Lockyer, obviously, you mentioned it's huge for a player to go from fullback to half and be so successful. So... I definitely would have had him in the top five, and I think that's pretty reasonable for him to be there. Yeah, that's right, Darren Lockyer. You can't argue with him. He's a really great player for the Broncos over a long period of time. Now, Mitch, you've got number three. Yeah, number three, um, Cameron Smith. I mean, his record goes without saying. Uh, currently, 413 games, the most played by an NRL player. Um, and the only player to get over 400 as well with 45 tries, 42 origins and five tries, 56 tests and nine tries, two premierships, two Dallium medals, uh, eight Dallium hookers of the year, eight, Tony. <laughs> that, that's Remarkable. crazy. Almost every year he's been able to win it. And in 2011, 12, 13, he won a three-peat of that award. But it's very hard to argue, Mitch, anyway. 
Oh, it is. It certainly is. <laughs> very, very um, great player in hooker, obviously. Four Dallium representative players of the year. Five Dallium captains of the year. So, obviously, a great leader as well. Two Golden Boot Awards and four Wally Lewis medals. Yeah, what can you say? Arguably the greatest resume on this list. Uh, we're going to go through two and one in a moment. But Cameron Smith, there's so much, Mitch, behind the scenes that people don't see. I mean, I always see Matty Johns and other pundits really say that you can look at that resume, which, of course, is five lines long, but the point of it being that his influence on games is so strong. So he's able to really control the tempo. And because he's got the ball in his hands so much at dummy half, he really gets to dictate, even before it goes to the halfback, how they're going to play and what style they're going to play. So Cameron Smith is a really big juggernaut in this list. Mitch, it can be argued... And depending what Dan sport here, putting him at number three, he probably did have the strongest roster around him. So he had Billy Slater, of course, who was number five, and Cooper Cronk. Tell you what, he'd be stiff to miss out on the top five as well. But if you put Cooper Cronk in this top five, who do you leave out? So Cooper Cronk, Billy Slater, and Cameron Smith dominated the NRL era, or certainly uh, from 2006 onwards, the last and 15 even, years. Even Greg Inglis to that list as well, and the, the host of other players Melbourne had um, during those really successful times. So I guess what I'm saying is he was really able to dominate for much of his career because there were great players around him. But Mitch, those players were also better for his presence as well, which is why the storm just worked. It was just so good, super consistent as well. We're going to speak about the next two people in a moment, but... It must, there's something to be said, Mitch, for every year to make the finals, except, of course, for the salary cap saga, which, again, is another thing that might count against him a little bit because he did have a team that was over the salary cap. But to be in the finals every year for the last 15 years, Marva salary cap scandal, that speaks volumes of just how consistent and how influential Cameron Smith is. Yeah, it does. I mean, if you look at the way the Melbourne Storm set up as well, Often you look at their roster sometimes or you look at their lineup and you think, oh, there's a couple of players you probably haven't heard of, but they'd have always such a strong spine, which is always led by Cameron Smith. And the players around them just lift and benefit um, from not only his influence, but other players. But yeah, he's certainly a huge factor and huge player in our game. Who do you have for number two, Mitch? Number two, we have Andrew Johns. So... Um, this one was hotly contested with the number one person on this list who we'll get to shortly. But Andrew Johns, um, outstanding record himself, 249 games, 23 origins, 23 tets matches as well. Two premierships, uh, one in the ARL, um, obviously breaking Newcastle's drought and also 2001. The Clive Churchill medal um, in 2001 as well. Three Dallium medals, four Dallium Halfback of the Year medals, and uh, Dallium Representative Player of the Year in 2005, as well as two Golden Boot Awards and the uh, Immortal status in 2012 as well. Yeah, well, that's, that's very important, that last one you said. He's the only Immortal of the NRL era. Now, we know the rules around the Immortal status, which is why there hasn't probably been a few more, but when there are a few Immortals and they'll start coming into... Um, the NRL era, but for the first, he's the first immortal of the NRL era when people in the ARL were still eligible. So that speaks wonders for him. A thing that you hear a lot about Andrew Johns is that he was able to play so well when his team was on the back foot. So the, the Newcastle Knights had a lot of 
They had some great players like the Johns Brothers, uh, Danny Badiris, Ben Kennedy, those sorts of players. But they did have quite a few players that were very uh, minimum wage, very honest players, you know, toilers who didn't get all the raps, weren't the most talented, but it was for people like Andrew Johns, similar to Cameron Smith, to elevate those players to that next level. And he was always playing on the back foot for such a long time. His defence was also very good for a halfback. You know, the likes of when they were coming through, Benji Marshall and those sorts of players were very glitz and glamour, all the attack, but they couldn't really defend. Andrew Johns was always in the front line, ready to take his hit, ready to apply his defence. So Andrew Johns, for me, really was that player, or that halfback particularly, who was strong in attack and defence, and he just read the game so well. We hear a lot of his... um, his commentary uh, on Channel 9 and other platforms as well. He reads the game so well. So uh, definitely deserves to be in the top five, no question. I was like you, I wasn't sure. I, I, I would have put Andrew Johnson in number one. But for the purposes of this, his resume, we're going to speak about number one in a moment. But once again, his premiership in the ARL era maybe did, did complicate things a little bit because it wasn't in the NRL era. So really, he's only got one premiership in the NRL era. But uh, Andrew Johns, no question, arguably one of the greatest of all time. And Tony, who is number one on the list uh, as voted by the NRL? NRL.com poll has voted Jonathan Thurston as the best player of the NRL era. Get this for a resume, Mitch. 323 games with 90 tries, 37 origins. He scored five tries in those. 38 tests with uh, 13 tries. Two premierships, one with the Bulldogs back in 2004 and one with the Cowboys, that historic premiership back in 2015. The Clive Churchill medalist in that 2015 grand final. Four-time Dalian medalist, the most of anybody. Four-time halfback of the year. Three-time Dalian 5'8 for the year. There we go, Mitch, with the whole best player in a different position, even though halfback and 5'8 are very similar. Dalian captain of the year back in 2015, three-time Golden Boot winner, best player in the world internationally, and the Wally Lewis medal back in 2008. Mitch, hard to argue. Yeah, certainly hard to argue. I mean, Andrew Johns, Jonathan Thurston, two outstanding um, players, halfbacks of the NRL era and just of um, in the rugby league game that will ever be there. Um, I think Jonathan Thurston's grand final in 2015, you can just remember it, him kicking that winning field goal. So obviously such a big leader um, on and off the field and also with the Maroons, his impact and Australia. So certainly just a world-class player. Yeah, he most certainly is. So just recapping, the top five players of the NRL era back when the NRL was great. In at number five, we had Billy Slater. Four, we had Darren Lockyer. Three, we had Cameron Smith. Two, we had Andrew Johns. And one, we had Jonathan Thurston. So, Mitch, once again, is there any changes you would make to that top five? Oh, there's one player I think just just misses out, seems to miss out just all the time. Maybe I'd say Cooper Cronk. You'd have to maybe try and fit him in somewhere um, to the top five. I don't know if it's in fifth for Billy Slater. I mean, it's a hard case to argue, but... I feel like Cooper Cronk sometimes doesn't get that recognition, maybe just because he only just retired. Um, but he's certainly an outstanding player as well. And I think what elevated him was his two years at the Roosters when he moved. 
being able to win back-to-back premierships and just be like that missing piece that they needed and tie the Roosters together. I think um, he probably would deserve to be in the top five. I believe he was in the top 10 of this um, particular poll and survey. Um, But yeah, he'd be the only one I'd probably look to add into the top five. Um, I mean, there's some great players out there, Greg Inglis, a couple of others as well. You can make a case for too, Tony. Yeah, that's right. Are you surprised, Mitch, there wasn't any forwards in the top five? Um, Potential. I think at the moment, looking at the way the game is, I think if you did this poll in another five years, you might have Jason Tamalolo up there. The way he's going in his career is outstanding. Um, So I think, yeah, he'll certainly be pushing up there as the greatest if he can continue his form, maybe bring another premiership um, for North Queensland. Uh, But at this stage, looking at the top five that are there, I think it's very hard to argue. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, two people that come to mind for me would be, if there was forwards that were going to be in the top five, and I'm like you, they'd probably just miss out. I think you'd go with the likes of maybe a Gordon Tallis or a Sam Burgess. I think those two were really strong in the NRL era. Gordon Tallis at the beginning of it and Sam Burgess towards the end. We can't speak much more highly of Sam. Now, before we go, I just want to have a little look, little crystal ball. So we're three weeks out from the NRL season, hopefully restarting. What do you think, what other twists and turns do you think we're in store for before this one uh, gets back up and running again? We still don't know what the draw is. Is there a specific reason why they're holding that back, Mitch? Or do you think they're taking all the time to really... There's no real rush to it. It'll happen eventually and it'll go through. Because I guess if all the players are together, there isn't really any travel requirements needed. And also, the players, they're using this at different fields. And it'd just be a case of how quickly they can back up if they are playing games in quick succession. So where do you think we go from here, Mitch, with a couple of weeks to go before the season starts? Yeah, I think... Potentially this week, we might hear a little bit more about the draw, which would be really good. I think from the NRL's point of view, it's just about working out that draw and working out the logistics side of things. I think that they'll be looking at, obviously, the fields and where teams are located. Obviously, most of the sides have moved into New South Wales now. Um, There may be that eligibility for the Queensland sides to be based in Queensland, I believe but I don't think games will be played there. So maybe just even locking in a certain home ground where the Broncos and the North Queensland Cowboys and the Gold Coast Titans would all share as their home ground. Potentially that's um, one of the factors because we know there won't be crowds for the foreseeable future. Um, So I think maybe it's just, they're just trying to work out those last little logistic things and just those grounds and getting access to them and trying to figure out the best way to do it with minimal travel. What do you think, Mitch? And it's just speculative. It probably won't happen. Or do they make the Broncos, Cowboys and Titans all play each other in the last three regular season rounds so that potentially they might be able to travel back to Queensland? That could be a a big possibility too. I mean, there's been talk about if the SCG is unavailable, that a grand final could possibly be at Bankwest or Suncorp. So if they're obviously looking at Suncorp for a grand final by the end of the season, by that September-October period, I could definitely say that there might be all Queensland matchups in that last few couple of rounds. I'm not sure, obviously, how to work with, obviously, every team playing each other once and then looking to play another four teams, another four games. 
Um, so I think maybe just another five games, I should say. Um, but just have to wait and see, I guess, and see how the NRL does do it. They may even look to get an all-Queensland clash right early to um, bring back that Queensland market. Yeah, there's a couple of different ways they can do it. I'll tell you what, Mitch, at the end of this, Suncorp Stadium's going to look fantastic in terms of the surface. You know, sometimes we say, you know, it gets trampled on, it looks like a bit of a horse track, Big, uh, the amount of sport that goes through it, and sometimes the ground surface isn't great. You'd probably suggest by the end of this, similar to what's happened in the environment, a lot more of the facilities will be a lot more better once we come back because they haven't been used for quite a while. So there is positives even that come out of that, Mitch. I mean, yeah. that's just what we do on this podcast. We <laughs> find the positives in the NRL. So this is the NRL Corona Positives Podcast. And Mitch, that's all we've got time for. Yeah, it is. That's all we've got time for this week. So make sure you're following our social channels, which are NRL Corona Positives on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure you let us know your thoughts of the podcast down below. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you very much, Tony Salerno. Thank you very much, Mitch Ferrugia. We'll see you next week. I'm Mitchell Frugia. Stay safe and keep looking for the positives.